Weasel then talks about the situation in a public gathering uh, in uh, the city's financial district. And in this speech, he talks about how crime has become a major aspect of this campaign and that restoring law and order and making sure that those who do violent things to people are punished for what they do is clearly an important aspect of governance. It's keeping people safe, primarily, and their belongings and their persons, allowing them to be able to move. That's why we have cities, societies, governments, nations, to protect people. They band together, they form societies, which form and create laws. But sadly, in the state of New York, the laws aren't implemented. Why? Because government wants to pander to those who they believe they can't control. And perhaps they're also in league with. Let's listen to what Lee Zeldin has to say about this. Here we go. She shouldn't have been extending her COVID emergency powers this entire way. Now, at one point, people might say, well, you know, it's just a piece of paper. But what she did with that piece of paper is that she gave a no-bid contract worth over $600 million to a company whose family ended up donating $300,000 to her campaign. And by the way, she paid over twice the price of the going rate. She needs to account for that. She needs to stand in front of the media and answer many questions as to how she gets $300,000 from this family and then circumvents the state's competitive bidding laws, which are there for a reason, to give, by the way, not $100,000, not a million dollars, over $600 million. And this isn't Kathy Hochul's money. This belongs to the people of New York. And if she will not account herself between today and November 8th, New Yorkers will deliver an accounting at the ballot box because it smells horribly. It passes no smell test. It, it shows, it proves that the person who we have right now as governor of the state of New York is a crook. She could prove me wrong by standing in front of all of you and explain away how she gets $300,000 and then gives out a no-bid contract paying over twice the going rate. And by the way, if you want to do this right, let's just say she decided, you know what, I have to enter this contract today because the numbers are whatever that numbers happen to be on that particular day. What about when the numbers go down? Why are you still paying all of that money for all these tests? She has a lot of answers that she needs to uh, come clean with in front of all of you. I oppose congestion pricing. I will do everything in my power to stop it. Um, Governor, you know, following last night's debate and through the entire campaign, um, your opponent has made crime a central focus of this campaign. And while you have been able to show that you have done many, many things since you took office, the bottom line is that people still don't feel safe. People still feel, are afraid to take the subway. The fear is palpable. People are afraid to walk the streets. So the question is, what do you think you can accomplish, new things that you can accomplish as governor that will change the fear 
that will be the deciding denominator that will make people feel that this is the safest city in the world, the safest state in the world, because they don't think that right now. Now, and that is very real, and this is what is deeply disturbing to me. You know, it's what I think about when I go to bed at night, is how we can make the people in this city and this state feel safer. I know that telling them that statistically we are the safest big city in America. When people say they're going to leave, well, you're not going to Atlanta, Chicago, Washington, even Seattle, uh, San Francisco for sure. I mean, but in our historically, we're better. But that doesn't do anything to anyone. I, I can't change a feeling with a statistic because it's real. And I accept that. And I want to be the person who can help lead them to a place where they have that sense of security. So what do we do? We say you feel safer with the presence of more police officers, then I'll help you. You would not have heard this before in the past, where the state of New York is deploying our state workers to help in the cities and also in our subways. We're doing this in Rochester and Syracuse as well. They needed more help. State police are there. New York City needs help. We have our support from our NTA transit as well as state police doing whatever we can. So it's that. It's also resources, you know, tripling the amount of money for law enforcement is what we did in our budget. That's on the line out there, but also letting people know that there's cameras out there. When you're on a subway and you're getting nervous about something, you need to know that over time, every single train is going to have two cameras watching everything that goes on. And also, I know how frightening it is when people see someone who has a severe mental illness. They could erupt at any time. You know, they could have an episode, and they could cause harm to you or your loved ones. That is frightening. So. We've been working on this since January. There's over 2,400 individuals who've had connections made to help get them to treatment. But also, we need to have long-term beds because they're just cycling back into the system. That's why we, you know, very quickly said we can identify that you know they're the most uh, frequent, you know, frequent riders. I would say the people who are there persistently. We know who they are. We can get them because we now have the laws as part of our bail laws. You know, we, we strengthened Kendra's law, and judges have abilities to have uh, court-ordered treatment for people who really are severely ill, who could harm others. And the other part is is that, you know, keeping guns out of the hands with people with mentally, mental health problems. So I, I can tell people all this. I don't know what it takes then for them to say, I feel better, as long as they're going to continue reading about the stories that have always been part of our history, always. And But I'm going to keep focusing on it. I'm not giving up on this. I want people to feel safer in this city. Do you think if you were able to get the legislature to add the standard of dangerousness to the bail laws, that this would silence the critics and it would, it would make people feel somehow safer on the streets of New York? Do you think that that may be the, do you, the, they, missing, the missing secret sauce? Let me ask, did they feel safer before the bail laws were changed? Because I want everyone to understand, we've never had a dangerousness standard. On the one hand, Hoko says there were no laws and restrictions on what judges could do when it comes to standards of violence and whatever, which is totally untrue. There are common practices and understandings. There's common sense. There's the ability that something so heinous and repulsive as you know, beating up a senior citizen or pushing someone who is not even doing anything to you onto subway tracks or engage in extreme violence and robberies or attacking someone because of their race or religion or creed. These are written in the Constitution of the United States. There are sentencing guidelines when it comes to that. But the reason Kathy Hochul doesn't want to discuss these things, we're saying that they don't exist in the 
because there's also federal laws that protect life. And that's something the Democrats just don't want to even have ever existed. So in their minds, you know, they want to keep the discussion on their particular position. Listen to what she says and how she avoids this issue. First by saying something didn't exist, and then by saying something didn't. And then lastly, she stops the discussion. She talks about sentencing guidelines she's imposed, which threaten to be unconstitutional. How can you charge someone for extreme offenses in certain crimes for having a firearm present, even when the firearm is registered and legally licensed and is being used to defend oneself and even using the firearm as a threatening object when the weapon is unloaded? See, there are certain aspects of these things that are just wrong in the way she's discussing it. And remember, when she says it doesn't have to have been used in a crime, she's not talking about criminals. She's talking about private citizens who happen to have a weapon that's licensed and in their possession. And one of, well, let's just say, those people that they favor, you know, the thugs on drugs that seem to get away with everything and any crime, any time. People who get to walk because, you know, they just happen to be woke. Listen, it's hopeful. The mischaracterization that there was once a dangerousness standard and then it was taken out. That didn't happen. And what I did in our bail changes, I put in more standards for judges to consider than they had before. I said, you have to look at, was an order of protection violated? Is it a repeat offender? Everybody talks about the repeat offenders. That's why I focused and had to fight hard to get that language in the bail changes. Anything related to a gun, a gun offense, even if it's unloaded. So. They call her crime, Kathy, or some people call her clueless that she's not aware of what's happening in the state of New York, that there are things happening here that people do not quite understand up in Albany, especially those in the governor's office, especially the governor herself, that she basically does not comprehend that people are not safe in the city of New York, which produces the vast majority of the tax revenue that runs the state of New York, and that we have a governor who is clueless, incapable, and unknowingly able to be able to implement laws. She talks about putting out state employees in the subway system. Well, she doesn't want to say state troopers or police because that will upset her woke crowd and number one customers for the groups that really provide support for Democrats, which are the legal drug dealers that are flooding the state with products such as marijuana and other byproducts that are now decriminalized and heavily supported by people like George Soros and others. See, Soros supported the decriminalization movement for one basic, very simple reason. They know the products are highly addictive, and much like tobacco, they wanted to control the trade. And now they do. Across the United States, there are thousands of these facilities, and many of them trace back to investment funds that are run for such ventures. And these are the people, backing people like Kathy Hopo and Eric Adams. They want the product to be moved across the state. And not just this state not just the city, but all throughout the United States, all throughout the world if possible. And that is their basic goal. 
a lot of people on the Republican side also have fallen for that. You remember former Speaker John Boner? <laughs> He's now a spokesman for Big Block, and so are many other groups. See, what they're selling isn't the old classic 1960s, what the hippies grew in their backyard stuff. No, it's much more potent. It's GMO, and it's made to be something that is almost instantly addictive. The reason they want it instantly addictive is because they follow the same pattern that Philip Morris and uh, you know all these other uh, big tobacco firms did back in the day to increase the yields of tobacco and nicotine in their products, and this is what they did. Unfortunately, there are those who refuse to accept this fact. Unfortunately, there are those who do not see that the real reason that there is crime all the time is because a lot of the people committing the crime are doing it to be able to afford the products. They are addicted to. Sadly, it is a vicious cycle. Here's a little bit more on that, and some of the other things of why Kathy Hochul would be bad for the state of New York, as discussed by her opponent, Lee Zeldin. Don't get me wrong. Got to keep an eye on Lee too. You have to keep an eye on the Republicans and other politicians who are running from independent parties. Make sure that they're not just frontmen for those involved in the trade that is slowly destroying our state and families. I wrote an op-ed a decade ago when Jay Walden came in office, and you can look it up right now. Uh, it's posted. I published it with, with the New York Post in 2012. Okay, now in it are a whole bunch of different items that would end up making the MTA operate more efficiently. If you go back and you read through it, it's amazing how many of those items still have not been tackled. So this is what happens: we have an MTA chairman right now, and the MTA chairman says, "Give me billions of dollars, and then I guarantee for you." Everything's going to be fixed. All I need is five billion dollars. So then you give them five billion dollars—not million, five billion dollars. You know what they do the next day? The MTA chairman says, "If you give me five billion more dollars, I really mean it this time. Then all of your problems are going to go away." But no, no. Listen, you ask your question. You. You get to ask whatever question you want, and I get to answer. And I'm following up. The cost of the cost, what would you cut? Listen, if if you would like to also give my answer, you can go ahead and do it. You did give your answer. You cited to an op-ed. But the answer... I'm asking you, in this decade, what would you cut? Okay, listen, the answer the answer ends when I can when I can get an opportunity to finish answering the question. So part of the problem is this. I'll pick up right where I left off. And by the way, who are you with? Okay, here's the problem: is that at the end of this process, where an MTA chairman is asking for five billion dollars, the answer isn't that they just ask for billions of dollars of more money. Congestion pricing is a process of putting their hands into the wallets of people who can least afford it. And what's going to happen is, once this gets done, then they're just going to ask for more money. So, if you go back through, the, which was published in the Post. You look at vendor contracts. You look at the amount of, of 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 waste. You look at the overtime abuse. You look at the structure of the MTA not being efficient. You want to generate revenue for the MTA? Make the MTA safe. You want more people to ride the MTA? A proposal to get more money into the MTA is to create a setting where people feel like they don't have to hug. A guardrail or a post in order to ride it. 
where they feel like they can go ride the subway and have their yarmulke on without being attacked, that they can be an Asian American New Yorker and not get attacked. That also provides money to the MTA as well. So, the cat. Just to follow up, the MTA needs. Sorry, the MTA needs billions of dollars to replace signals that are decades old. Right. Andy Byford said it would take. I'm not from New York. No one pays me to say anything on my podcast, but the occasional subscriber, and none of those subscribers are linked to any political party or group. What I do is called broadcasting, broadcast journalism, something I was taught. I have no agendas, just the truth. Never get to you because hey, I just want to see our city, state, country, world safe. God loves you, and so do I. So God bless you, the United States of America. God bless the city of New York, and have saves. If people don't vote wisely in this next election, when I say vote wisely, vote for people who are not for crime, for criminals. Vote for people who call for implementing of laws and sane decisions. You know, you know, you know. I'm not going to leave. Have a great day. God bless.